But at some point, they have a priest bless the river to make it holy water, right? So it kills vampires. Then it keeps it keeps going on. The holy river kills a bunch of stuff. Holy river, I guess. And it just is it just blessed forever now? Is that like the safest town in all of existence from demons? Like, how long does a blessing last? I don't know. I feel like it couldn't last forever. That doesn't seem right. Or else they just have blessed all the water sources and then you'd never If the have water to... evaporates and rains back down, does it kill any demons in the rain? Yeah, holiness or... can't survive phase changes. <laughs> it's, it's the water cycle. It's, it's not compatible with the holiness cycle. Yeah, I mean, you can't take other... You know, you can't take, like, impurities with you, so you certainly can't take purities with you. Just water. Is purity an impurity? It only takes water, nothing else. <laughs> okay. Hey, everyone. Welcome to episode 197 of the MTG Grindcast. We are your hosts. I'm Chris Castor-Apple. With me is Lee McLeod. Hey, Lee. Hi, Chris. Lee, you want to talk about some Modern Horizons 2 spoilers? I absolutely do. I This is my favorite like set uh, series, I guess. Mm-hmm. I loved Modern Horizons 1. And I've been looking forward to Modern Horizons 2 spoilers every single day. <laughs> We're only three days in now. We got the the stream last week, and then today's Tuesday, so we have Monday and Tuesday spoilers. Yep. So I still got like a good two, a good week and like a couple days left. And I'm the weekend's gonna be hard for me because these cards are just so cool. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited to play with them. I yeah, I also like the Modern Horizons concept generally. I I think that. You know, there's a certain subset of the community that's just like, I hate sets that are like directly adding cards to the older formats. And I think that that's kind of a like whiny baby attitude, to be honest. <laughs> I There's a lot of whiny baby attitude regarding this product. But mm-hmm. Most of it is like whenever they spoil sweet cards that are obviously unplayable and modern, but are still really cool. Mm-hmm. Everyone goes, oh, it's Commander Horizons. Which is exactly the first thing they called the first Modern Horizon set. <laughs> it's just like, come on. Yeah, I mean, yeah, how did like, that Like, do, do you want out? the set to be comprised entirely of just Brainstorm, Counterspell, like, that sort of thing? <laughs> like, come on. It's not, it's not gonna happen. Like, this gives them a lot of opportunities to print cool cards that wouldn't really have a home anywhere else. Like, they can just print one card with Eternalize in this set, and that's fine. And they could never make that card a- anywhere else. I mean, it's unlikely we get the swords in a commander product because they're not that great mm-hmm. in commander, but they're, you know, it's neat to have them complete the sword of fire and ice cycle. I, I, I am, a, I mean, this is a very specific thing, but I do kind of feel like they should have just left it at the enemy colored swords because the ally color ones just, you know, the first two were such letdowns and then. Oh, Yeah. I mean, I, I agree with you that it, it was fine to stop at the enemy colored ones, mm-hmm. but I don't like regret them trying out the allied color ones and keeping with it. Uh, though I will say that the white blue one kind of sucks, right? Yeah. The red black one is actually quite good in cubes. It's like. Well, it's good in your cube. <laughs> no, no, no. It's, I see it. 
if you look at cubes like on cube cobra mm-hmm. mostly people play exactly three swords if they mm-hmm. don't have like all of them like a crazy person but if they just like pick and choose which equipment to play it's always three sword of fire and ice sword of feast and famine and sword of sinew and steel hmm. it's always those three i guess sinew and steel like makes sense if you want ways to control planeswalkers but you also have, want to have planeswalkers in your cube it also has really good colors to get protection from true true well where should we start oh yeah i guess the all the other baby attitude the other whiny baby thing that i've seen a lot of is like complaining about too many card styles in these sets <laughs> and it's just like come on who cares i i just like so i have i have a brief thought on that because like at the end of the day i don't really care like i have an opinion on the card styles but it doesn't really matter and i think people are overblowing the whole like it's so complicated to figure out where these go in because i'm not gonna like open packs to try and get right the right like, what, gonna, what is, like what is the complaint it's like oh no i opened 100 set boosters and didn't get any etched foils because i didn't realize that you had to open collector's boosters to get etched fo- like that's not gonna happen you buy the ones that you want if you want specific ones that's how we've always done this yeah but i will say uh to, to you know defend them a little bit while i was watching their stream when they were going over like the different card styles because they, they were displaying a bunch of them while they were previewing cards uh they had like a quiz where blake asked dan oh and guess which one this one's from uh-huh and then they like looked at their chart or whatever they had <laughs> and it took them literally 35 seconds they were just they just didn't know where it was yeah. they just couldn't find it couldn't figure it out and that i think that is not great like, it honestly doesn't matter how they're distributed, as long as it's reasonable. Mm-hmm. But, like, obfuscating it to making it, like, so so where your employees who work on the game all the time can't really figure it out, that's, like, clearly can't be a good system. Yeah, I mean, it's not really intuitive. There's not, like, natural relationships between, like, oh, of course, this comes in draft boosters, this comes in set boosters, this comes in collector's boosters. It's, like... I mean, having the three different types of boosters is, like, enough to be kind of confusing. If you had, like, regular boosters and then collector's boosters, then maybe you could make clear distinctions, but it's, it is a little bit too much. And I, I I mean, I don't love that you don't even have a chance of getting certain versions in certain boosters. I, I think the, the treasure hunt is cool, and I think the idea that, like, any pack has some potential to contain a super seeker ultra rare is... Like, I think that that should be like, you should be able to open a, you know, in any pack of Strixhaven, you should be able, you should have a small chance of getting a JPN Demonic Tutor. Like, I think that that should be the case, but it's not horrible that it's not. Yeah, I think, I think that's my ideal version of the special versions. Mm -hmm. They just throw everything in the same booster pack at varying chances or degrees or whatever. And then the collector booster can be more specialized. Yeah. I mean, I... I wonder if part of it is like a collation slash like pack distribution technology difficulty because there's only so many ways you can arrange sheets and put cards into packs and the technology for having like this many different options may not be there, but who knows? Uh, maybe. I, I can't say. They've certainly very clearly increased their capabilities from the days where you could like map out the common print runs and stuff and you had packs where like you you knew what somebody had taken out of them with like 90 percent certainty and stuff but 
yeah, that that was a wild one when people were like mapping the boxes of mm-hmm. at least on the first pack they opened. Yeah. And and then the one thing that I legitimately do not like is having uh the old border MH1 cards be only in foil. Those yeah, should come that's in normal. A really weird one. I don't Yeah. It's Especially very strange. since there's already a reprint. There's like a God, I can't remember exactly what the contents of the draft boosters are, but I know there's a reprint slot. Mm-hmm. And it feels like it'd just be so easy to have slipped those normal ones. Yeah. Like the non-foil versions in the reprint slot. Yeah, and I I I don't like having only foil versions available. I mean, for people who specifically don't like foils, like the etch foil versions are available, and those are, you know, much less intrusive. But they're also probably going to be very expensive because, like, it's the edge foil ones yeah, only. They're very coming. rare. Yeah, exactly. So I uh, I think that's a, that is a really weird decision because, like, a lot of the appeal of old bordered force of negation is that you can have them next to your force of wills and they match them, and if they're foil, then they won't. <laughs> yeah, that's so. true. But but now think of the inclusion here. Like, you can't get a foil alliances one. And now you can't get a non-foil person. <laughs> I don't know. This this feels like a step backwards to me. But anyways, anyway. none of that matters, really. All that matters, new cards. Yeah, so we stopped the last show talking about the first wave of spoilers, which was the uh, Sanctum Prelate through Urza Saga one. Mm-hmm. And since then, we've had three full days of spoilers. Uh, do you have any, like, order you want to tackle these in? Uh, no, not really. I think we just sort of, like, pick out a card at a time and go through them. Uh, I mean, we can start with just, like, the obvious big deal card. The only one that's, like, up to Urza Saga in power level. If you just want to start with Grief, and then we can go from there. Yeah, we can start with Grief. We'll have to read the card, though, since yes. these are all new. I mean, and enough has been said about this card, and I assume most of our listeners also listen to other podcasts and pay attention on Twitter. Like, we're not going to have anything too new to say on Grief. Two Black Black, three Two Menace, Elemental Incarnation. When it enters the battlefield, your opponent target opponent reveals their hand. You can choose a non-land card from it. That player discards that card, and it has Evoke, Exile a Black card from your hand. So... This card is bonkers in a number of ways. Number one, it is almost strictly better than Unmask, which is a card that if it got a reprint in this set, like that would be a big deal. And this is better than Unmask in like every situation except for when you need to target yourself to put something in your graveyard. Other than that, it's just like, oh, Unmask that you can do creature stuff with. And when you have the fail case of hard casting it, you just get a 3-2. Yeah, this card is... When we saw this on the previous stream, it was like, wow, this is, we're not playing around with Modern Horizons 2. This is uh, just the first card of a cycle. Yeah, and we got the second card in the cycle, which has kind of confirmed that the alternate cost is not just going to be, you know, a cycle of no mana, but you pay with something else. The cycle is all exile a card of that color from your hand, and pitch spell... The pitch spell mechanic is extraordinarily powerful. Like Yeah, because you don't have to spend mana on cards. Like so ignoring that this card is a creature. Because that's an extremely important part of the card. Mm-hmm. But just it being unmask is quite good. Yeah. Like unmask is a premier, like push my stuff, my cards through. Because you don't have to spend mana to 
start eating at your opponent's hands to protect your stuff, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Right. Uh, this card does all that and more because it's a creature and you can interact with it while it, the way evoke works. If you know this card mechanic was from Lorwyn, which was a long time ago, but the way evoke works is that you cast it for the evoke cost, which in this case is exiling a black card. Uh, it goes in the stack like normal creature. It resolves like a normal creature, but then when it enters the battlefield, if you evoked it, uh, it creates a trigger that causes you to sacrifice it when it enters the battlefield. Uh, it, it has a common playability too, so you can stack those however you want. So ideally, you stack the I'm going to look at your hand first mm-hmm. before you have to sacrifice grief. So you look at their hand, take whatever. And then if based on what your deck is doing, you can interact with grief while it's still on the battlefield. One of the things people are talking about doing, which is the obvious go-to, is ephemerating it, because that keeps grief alive. When it comes back, it's a new grief. And then you take another card from your opponent's hand. Completely shredded your opponent's hand, left yourself with a 3-2 menace, and, you know, low resource game from there, but your deck is built to work with that, and your opponent's deck is not. It's also my favorite thing when this card was spoiled was someone making a joke tweet, which was, man, I hope Modern Horizons 2 has some good stuff for Legacy. And then Grief was spoiled, and they said, oh god, no, not the Venge Vines. <laughs> yeah, and right. So outside of the just, like, hey, you can do stuff because this is a creature, yeah, it triggers Venge Vines because it's a creature spell. It triggers Bridge from Below because it's a creature dying. Uh, you know, if you have anything else that triggers off of creature coming into play or dying or something like that, or if you have, you know, if you had an altar of dementia, you could sacrifice this to the altar and get a little extra value that way. That's like pretty, you know, minor, but you know, I mean, like carrion feeder and stuff is a thing. It's not nothing like this is just all upside on top of unmask, which is already a very, very powerful magic card that has seen play since it's printing to now consistently. I will also mention that because I don't, I've listened to a lot of podcasts as well talking about this card, and no one's really mentioned the fact that other than you can evoke it, uh, it just like skirts the downside of discard spells, which mm-hmm. is they're they're really bad later in the game when your opponent doesn't have a hand. Yeah, because this is just a three two with menace for four mana, which is not great. It's like pretty bad rate, but it's on top of this incredibly proactive disruption spell. So it's uh, just upside. Yeah. Yeah, it's way better than top decking and unmask when you both have no resources in the mid game. Yeah, the reason decks don't usually in Legacy play a bunch of unmasks because it's so good is because it's the, the games grind a lot and unmasks is bad in those games. Mm-hmm. And unmask is primarily used to like push through reanimate or combos like that. Yeah, uh, grief is much better in unmask than playing those long games because it provides value outside the. Uh, immediate coming to play ability it has another piece of value you get off of this being a creature is that you can vial it in once you get to that point and you can vial it in in their draw step like that is a huge upside over an unmask effect and or more more relevantly flickering it with flicker wisp or sh- ephemerate in their draw step well but you go up to five like say you're a yorion deck with grief in it and so on your way up to five to bring in a yorion you, you just grief them. you draw step this grief and then you go up to five put your Yorion in your hand, like grief, grief them again. If they, I mean, I guess if you draw step griefed them, that's probably, they probably don't have anything left by the time you come around again on your turn with Yorion, but who knows? Yeah. It's also hard to 
counteract these flicker type of effects. Mm-hmm. Like flickering grief is really good because it's stapled on top of a. a You've a already thought seized them. Yeah. yeah, you know if they have removal or not, and they're not going to. If they cast the removal before you take a card with grief, like while well, its abilities on the stack, you just flicker it then in response to the removal spell. They can't wait until after because you thought seized them. It's just like this catch twenty two of no winning. Yeah, it. I, I think this card is pretty clearly unreal, and I we can't say too much more about it. We'll just have to see like if it ends up being too good. I think it's more of an interesting card from like a deck building perspective. Like, how do you build around it? Mm-hmm. Like, what shell do you have to support grief? That sort of thing. I think that's where most of the like interesting parts of grief come in because we can't like start building decks and playing with grief and just testing out stuff. Right. Like, we know it's a strong card. We just need to figure out exactly how to best utilize it. Yep. And I mean, it is probably going to be at its best in decks that are not currently really good in modern. So that's at least it you know promoting some sort of shift other card in the cycle that we have seen so far this just got spoiled um a you know half an hour ago or whatever this is subtlety two blue blue for a three three flash flying elemental incarnation when it enters the battlefield choose up to one target creature spell or planeswalker spell its owner puts it on the top or bottom of their library and has evoke exile a blue card from your hand so a little bit of a inverse force of negation with a like ether gust templating put onto it um i mean obviously i don't think this card is as good as grief but certainly there will be spots where this card is fantastic no it's quite good and i'm actually quite surprised this card has flying it yeah. just doesn't seem necessary it's just a good body three three flyer like that's a very relevant thing when you are like it, in that spot where you're just hard casting this like i've seen people non-ironically play vincer in modern which mm-hmm. is a 2u2 that has like a similar-ish effect uh this card just trounces vencer on most axes <laughs> well yeah you can use this to slow down their monastery swiss spears and stuff like yeah it's also really neat that this card covers force of negation's weakness which is creature spells mm-hmm. uh you, you can just tap out whenever if you have both of this card and force of negation in your hand you can yeah. use either one you just exile the one that is bad to cast the one that is good it's perfect yeah if those are the only two blue cards in your hand you you have your options covered right yeah i mean it's i I think this is probably a fine card especially because like if it's some really important creature or planeswalker to their strategy they get to choose whether to put it on top or the bottom but we've seen that like you know, Ether Gusting a Primeval Titan is really good. This Ether Gusts Primeval Titan pretty well. And uh yeah, this card is obviously going to be really strong. I don't know. Yeah, one of the one of the best parts about Ether Gusting Primeval Titan is that you, you really want to be doing something proactive to, you know, stop from just redrawing Primeval Titan and casting it again. Usually in the past that's been Uro or just a cryptic command in addition. Mm-hmm. Uh, this card is also a 3-3, yeah. so why not Aether Gust's Primeval Titan if you just cast it normally? You can just start attacking them with it. Right, and also one of the reasons that Aether Gusting Primeval Titan is really good is if they had to cast a Summoner's Pact to get their Titan, then you like have really time-walked them at that point. So, And and this is a much more main-deckable way to get Titans that way. So I don't know how great it is. At, I mean, like when your opponent casts like a turn one swiss spear and you have this in hand 
unless you have like a one mana answer to the sister, you probably do cast this on the one drop to slow them down, but like it doesn't feel great. So because that that exchange doesn't feel so awesome, uh that, I think there are spots where this card like, To me that's kinda like picking a, a like example out of a hat. Mm-hmm. Like I don't know what deck subtlety goes in. Like you can just play it in like a control deck mm-hmm. like we see in modern. Yeah. But it doesn't seem like that great in control decks in the like the main deck that you would want against kind of a Swift Spirit style deck. Mm-hmm. Like I've been envisioning this in kind of like a spirits or taxes sure. or merfolk or whatever. Something that uses the body well. I mean those are like tribal decks that the body is like irrelevant. Yeah, yeah, I know. But like I mean taxes isn't. <laughs> right, right. But, but taxes, basically just taxes something... you have to be playing you have to be playing like twenty blue cards to make this work. So you know I, I just I basically mean something that utilizes the time this card gives mm-hmm. to like close the door faster rather than just, you know, kind of resigning itself to using it on a Swift Spear on turn one and like a slowy deck. Right. And I, I mean probably if you're using this in a control deck, then you are playing answers to Swiss spears and stuff so you don't so you can use this on their stormwing entity or whatever at least and and then uh you know the free spells are the force of negation and subtlety are actually pretty good in control decks when you are doing them on like i cast a narset this turn and now i get to do this or whatever yeah so, that's when they're really good uh moving on to some of the other cards uh, I do just want to point out that I'm really happy that Patriarch's Bidding is getting a printing in this set. It is about time that that card got put into Modern. It's so surprising that wasn't in the last set. The tribal the set? Tribal yeah. One. Yeah. <laughs> Three BB sorcery. Each player chooses a creature type. Each player returns all creature cards of a type chosen this way from their graveyard to the battlefield. Famously finishing spell in the Goblin Bidding decks where basically you cast this and your opponent just immediately died and goblin sharpshooter or something else yeah give it haste you get goblins you can sacrifice your goblins they just die there's plenty of ways to just kill your opponent but after you've cast this card at certain points in like a goblin stack i'm just kind of delighted to see it it's one of my favorite cards was one of my favorite cards as a kid and i hope that it is relevant but probably won't be super relevant I will say I, I'm a little disappointed that they commissioned new art for it, which is not something I often say because I often like seeing new art for cards. Mm-hmm. But Patriarch's bidding was a pa- the Patriarch is a named character, like it was the Cable Patriarch. Right, it was a <laughs> legend. Cabal Patriarch is the name of a legendary creature, which is weird because it's very non-specific sounding. Yeah, which makes sense that they can just commission new art and not depict him because it's it's just a bunch of like werewolves. And there's an alpha werewolf that I guess is the patriarch. I think it's kind of cute that they were just able to... It, it was like a signature spell for a character, but because of the character's name, they're able to just port it to a completely different like flavor concept. Yeah, you can't do that for like Kamal's wish. Right, right. Unless you have a werewolf named Kamal. <laughs> Let's see. Other notable stuff. Well, we've got our Rashad and Port creature. Rashad and Dokkan. Dokkan. One U for a one two island walk, one tap, tap target land. It is a merfolk. It has that incredibly important and very intentional looking second toughness on it. So Yeah, it's it's only one mana, so like a one mana value creature, so it's it's a nice one. Yes. It doesn't die to Lava Dart, doesn't die to 
uh, Plague Engineer, it doesn't die to Renin 6. That's all really, really important. Has the Murfolk creature type, which... Like, to put this into a deck, you need the body to become relevant at some point in the game, and that kind of requires you to be playing Murfolk, which is an Aether Vile deck, so it actually kind of wants this effect. I really appreciate them doing this instead of just putting Rishan Import into Modern. I yeah, way more. Like, and this card has some upsides as compared to Rishan Import if you're just using it for like straight mana denial. Like Rishan Import basically taxes two of your mana to tax one of your opponent's mana. Mm -hmm. uh, this card uses one of your mana to tax one of your opponent's mana because it's a one drop that you cast instead of a land you play. Yep. Obviously, it's way harder to fit into death decks than a colorless land like Rashad Import is. Uh, and honestly, I'm not really sure how I feel about this card. Like, I mostly just think it'll be good in Merfolk, yep. but I don't know if Merfolk will be good. Exactly. And I don't know if, like, other decks are interested in this card. I think they mostly aren't. I mean... Maybe, it's a blue card. That's the hard part for me. Maybe there is some sort of, like, you know, white-blue taxes type of deck. Uh, I mean, maybe that's the kind of deck that Subtlety is good in or something like that, but... Because like this one two body doesn't really mesh with the other stuff like the blinking stuff in the the taxes deck and stuff and you can't really make the body relevant if you're not playing lords for it. You kind of need this card to operate in a space where like the tapping is good forty percent of the time, the body is good forty something percent of the time, and that adds up to enough for a one mana creature. But just having the tap ability like there's a lot of games where the tap ability is going to be like. Like you're trading you play your own stuff yeah exactly you just like can't activate it because you're casting spells well okay then this was a one two and the opportunity cost is much higher too than i already said this and then rashad import yeah. but it that's the important part of the card like you, it's a creature you have to play in your deck rather than a land you just pull wherever right yeah i mean most of like it's clear that this is the thing for merfolk decks because the bar for one mana merfolk is not high like curse catcher is not a powerful magic card and that's what they have to play so the best one <laughs> yep uh so this is clearly like i've seen lists where people just like played merfolk of the pearl trident because it's just like curse catcher never actually does anything and i'm just gonna admit it <laughs> i have art of this card that i like so <laughs> so yeah there's there's this guy he exists i don't really know what the card will do besides be included in merfolk decks that may or may not be playable uh can we talk about timeless dragon real quick sure uh this is a three white white five five creature dragon with flying plane cycling two and eternalize two white white which is a a neat little callback to eternal dragon yeah i like this card as a card i think it's a great cube card i think it's a, a great design like it's just nice and clean but uh, like you know i'm never doing anything with this in modern yeah it's not really gonna see play anywhere in modern yeah. it, it's a cool card that exists but it's not like an embarrassing raid or anything like five mana five five flyer sure because you can internalize it for a four four later on but you really want to get value out of like putting it into your graveyard incidentally mm -hmm. and then like using your internalize ability while you're doing other stuff but white isn't a color that's well suited up to doing that. Putting stuff into your graveyard to use... Like, it's got to cost, like, no mana for it to be good enough in modern. Like, yeah. it's got to be prized amalgams. It's not unburial rights, 
you know? Yeah, sad. I, I wish we could get back to a place where Ambergerites was more modern playable. I, at least... Historic has given me a place where I can cast on burial rights to my heart's content. Uh, you want to talk about unmarked grave while we're on graveyard shenanigans? Yeah. Uh, this is a 1B sorcery that you can search your library for a non-legendary card, put it into your graveyard, and then shuffle. Yeah, so this is Entomb nerfed three different ways. It costs an extra mana, it's sorcery speed, and it can't get Gristlebrand, and I still think it's good enough. So, like... Just, just, that's like Entomb is so busted <laughs> yeah I love how they did the first graveyard set Odyssey and they're just like what about a card that just puts a card in your graveyard you can't even use it yeah I well at the time it would well I guess reanimator like Zombify was in the same set yeah oh I mean but like that's fine like that's not offensive because what were you bringing back in standard at that time you know like what's the usually a ton of goblins with patriarchs bit. yeah well <laughs> That was a year later. Yeah, that was a year later. But, you know, like, once you were reanimating, it was like, oh, man, it's Sutured Ghoul, and, like, my whole deck is, like, built around, like, making this work. Because, so, you know, there were no Gristle Brands, there were no Tide Spout Tyrants, there were no, like, absolute reanimation yeah, the, monsters at that point. The best creature in Odyssey was Psychotog, which was just a three-man <laughs> Yes. <laughs> right, and it beat every creature on the battlefield, so you couldn't reanimate something to beat a Psychotog with. Like, you know, Repulse was a huge card at the time, so you, could, you couldn't you could just, like, reanimate a monster. They just re repulse it. Yeah, this card is, like, pretty good. I think so. But I don't exactly know how yet. Like, one of the things you can get that's, like, very simple, but outclassed is uh, Stinkweed Up. Just, like go grab it on turn two. That's obviously worse than Cathartic Reunion since we just got like a million more of them. Right. And I think that's specifically why they couldn't, absolutely could not make this card cost one mana because you would 100% play four. You you just would cut your other one mana stuff to play these and put a Stinkweed yeah. Imp in your graveyard. Would you rather have Shriekhorn, a chance of hitting a Stinkweed Imp, or Unmarked Grave at one mana, right. guaranteed Stinkweed Imp? Yes. I, I would take a one mana Unmarked Grave. So I, I appreciate that very conscious pricing i think that the one very obvious thing that you can do with this is footsteps of the gorio with protean hulk and there's just like a thousand different kills you can do with protean hulk at this point it's just a race to find the most uh, compact one yeah ideally with like the most drawable cards that like don't make you just want cry yourself to sleep when they show up in your hand but Footsteps of the Goryeo is two and a black uh, for an arcane sorcery. Return target creature card from your graveyard to play. Sacrifice that creature of en at end of turn. So you don't even get to attack with it, but we don't we don't care about that. We're killing them with our uh, six mana worth of creatures we've tutored out from our deck. Yeah, that's. I, I think this card is good enough, but tuned enough where it can mm -hmm. have some interesting decks where you're like making conscious decisions around it yeah like the footsteps protein hulk thing like hopefully that's a deck uh maybe the problem with this card is that dredge as the graveyard deck like the premier graveyard deck in modern kind of draws so much hate that it's hard to have other graveyard decks in the format right and and, and that's certainly a, a problem the graveyard hate that they have been kind of forced to print because of the existence of dredge and that you choose to play because of dredge. All of those cards are re are even better against non dredge decks. 
like trying to do unmarked grave stuff against an opponent who just has a Tormod's Crypt in play. They just get to crack it after you've invested multiple cards in doing this. It's kind of an it's like like Dredge can just cast Cathartic rebuild. Reunion. Yeah, they can rebuild. They can cast Cathartic Reunions until they find a piece of interaction. Like they have so many more options. Whereas you're sitting here with like graveyard tutors in your hand against your opponents, like active Nile Spellbomb or Relic of Progenitus or whatever. Even Soul Guide Lanterns. Yep. Like kind of a low cost literacy one where it's just, oh man. Yep. So definitely a bummer. And another way that Dredge keeps the other graveyard decks down, not just by getting Faithless Looting banned, but by promoting graveyard interaction. That is just a nightmare for decks like this to deal with. Yeah, Ari has been talking about, Ari Lax has been talking about just like being willing to sacrifice Dredge to the ban list in order to get access to all the other graveyard decks that Dredge has like eclipsed or pushed out, Mm -hmm. basically. And I'm so willing for that trade. Like, I do feel bad for Dredge players, and it's like a cool deck that I actually do like. Yeah. But I think that its cost in the format is just so astronomically high. I mean, I would probably take a more conservative line first if i just like was god of the band list and could make my decisions uh, I, and i probably wouldn't have felt this way before the last set of big set of modern bands but losing artifact decks from modern and losing the faithless losing de- like there's a huge value towards allowing people to keep their decks and you know there's a huge value for allowing the dredge guys to be able to continue playing dredge my my first go-to for dredge in order to like promote that goal would be to get rid of creeping chill and maybe conflagrate because the problem with dredge is that there is no way to beat it except by stopping them from doing their graveyard stuff unless you just legitimately like have a combo kill that is faster than them you can't play real magic against them in any way. Your proactive strategy is worse than theirs and everything matches up pretty badly against it because not only do they have this like big zoo plan, but they also have the you've started this game at eight life plan and it's a lot. And those, those angles work together really well and also complement any real magicking you're doing against them. So I I would like to get rid of the burn plan from Dredge and see where things shake out because then, you know, the Creeping Chill took burn from being like one of Dredge's <laughs> worst matchups to being Dredge's best matchup. Decks should have weaknesses that aren't just the hate cards against my deck. They should be weak to strategies. Yeah, I, I, I agree, but I want to table this because there's a question someone asked that like, touches on this topic mm-hmm. and we probably go in more in depth about that sure but back in the realm of tutors can we talk about profane tutor yeah uh, this is a no mana cost card it's a suspend card uh, it's got suspend two for one or to be uh it's just demonic tutor switch your library for a card put it in your hand then shuffle your library mm-hmm. i keep going back and forth on this card <laughs> when, it, when it was spoiled i'm like oh man this card is incredible you spin it on two or even turn three by the time you tutor, you have all your mana tapped. So you can protect it if that's what you want to do. Like with grief in the meantime, you like get to build up your combo while your spells on suspend. Mm-hmm. And then when it resolves, you have all your mana untapped. You get to do because <laughs> tutors are used to like 
push through like combos mostly. <laughs> so yeah, get your combo card, kill them. Uh, and then I think the like wish claw talisman exists, and that card's pretty good, and it doesn't see a ton of play, and it doesn't seem that worse than like wish claw talisman doesn't have the downside of you know you draw it late and you can't use it right right away right. But then I come back with, man, having all your mana untapped is so strong when you're tutoring. <laughs> so I, I honestly don't know how I feel about this card. Yeah, I think it's going to find some homes. I don't think it's crazy powerful or anything, because certainly there's times where you draw it and you're just like, I don't have two more turns this game. And I think that's pretty... If you don't have this on turn two, like suspending this on turn three is pretty bad in a combo deck, at least. because it's, it's. I will. I will say you get to mitigate some of it by the fact that I imagine a large swath of these black decks will get to play Grief. So if you draw a Protein Tutor sure. later in the game, you can just pitch it to Grief. No, that's a really good point. Yeah, because this does have, as, as with all of these spells, it does have the color identity mark. It is a black card. One place where I really like the idea of this outside of combo decks is I think this might help make As Foretold into like a real thing. Because I think... As foretold was pretty close. It's actually it's actually a really really powerful card that just did didn't quite get there. But the fact that now you have just just in blue black you have ancestral vision and profane tutor that you can cast for free off of it, and this allows you to build your deck more heavily around as foretold because you can suspend this on turn two, on turn four. You cast it, get your as foretold. Like you just have more copies of as foretold in your deck now, and then when you do have your as foretold in play, this becomes a broken draw instead of a eh, crap. Like this isn't when I wanted to draw this card. So I don't know. I, I really like the idea of some kind of like controlling blue black as foretold deck that like leverages that engine card. I, I'd like to try to make that work. I could see that. As for, I do agree, as we're told, is one of those cards that's... It, it's been actually putting up results recently mm -hmm. with the blue uh, Living End style decks, too. Mm -hmm. There are more of those have been popping up. So if that if those kind of decks get more cards, they can only get stronger, right? Yeah. Unless more cards get printed to hate them out. Which, maybe we can segue just straight up into a hate card. Sure, let's do it. Where is it? Void Mirror. It's a two-mana artifact. Whenever a player casts a spell, if no colored mana was spent to cast it, counter that spell. This card is so overhyped. Holy crap. So I'm going to defend the overhype. Not actually, but like kind of. Mm -hmm. I think this card is incredibly easy to misread. What it says is that whenever a player casts a spell, if no colored mana was spent to cast it, counter that spell. It does not say whenever a player casts a colorless spell, counter it. Yes. I don't know if, if you saw spend... my tweet, but I, I said the same thing. This card is easy to misinterpret. So here's here's my here's some help interpreting it oh no i actually didn't see I, I i actually tweeted that like exact sentiment because i've basically like i think on first read you're right most people go oh wow you can't cast colorless spells when this is in play it just counters that, that that is honestly what i said i'm like oh, when i saw this card i'm like yeah take that battery shaper mm -hmm. hell yeah but it, it, they can just tap cavern of souls they can just i mean that works on multiple levels right they can <laughs> just tap the swamp herborg whatever yep right it, it basically does very little except for countering spells that have no mana associated with it, right. like Profane Tutor, mm -hmm. or just destroying Vintage Workshops. 
Except that in shops, you can draw mocks. And if you... True. If you put your mocks that makes colored mana into play before your opponent puts Void Mirror into play, then you can cast a spell every turn. And then this Void Mirror is turning off their Force of Wills. <laughs> yeah, that's true, too. Yeah, I, I, I think this card's, like, very unplayable. Mm -hmm. But I wanted to kind of clarify that it basically only counters free spells. And because that's such a small, small, small subset of cards in modern like we're not sideboarding nicks in fact most of people listening to this podcast don't know that that is a magic the gathering card so is it you counter target spell if no mana was spent to cast it yeah and i'll give you one guess what set that card was printed in it's future set. yeah i know what set it's from. right yeah i mean but i'm talking that's that's the the universal you like it's it's a very future site card it's got like the five colors of mana from a back of a magic card, but they're all like grayed out or something. Mm -hmm. That's the art. I'm not looking up this card. I just have it burned in my mind. No, I just wanted to see the art because yeah, yeah. Then it's got the the future sight frame with the the fewest number of mana symbols possible, but all of these empty slots to put mana symbols in because <laughs> future sight frame, you know. I I love how weird it is, but it's not the best thought out visual design of all time. The future sight frame of Progenitus would have the mana cost just like going around the art <laughs> and to the other side. No, there's there's ten there's eleven slots here. There's a full eleven oh, eleven slots on the future sight frame. Oh, wowie! It's just that they go into the text box. Yeah, yeah. That's like all I have to say. Avoid mirror. It's just a pretty bad card. Yeah, but is in the set and really easy to be tricked into thinking that it's playable. Yes, correct. Alright, I'm saying we'd like six cards or something now. It's it's your turn. Yeah, that's fine. No, I'm just <laughs> why don't we talk about a couple of the planeswalkers? Because they did give us a couple of three mana planeswalkers, and so that's at the threshold of modern consideration, at least. You can cast three mana spells in modern. We've got Dakon Shadow Slayer. This is white, blue, black for a zero loyalty planeswalker, but he enters the battlefield with a number of loyal loyalty counters. Equal to the number of lands you control, plus one is surveil two, minus three, exile target creature, minus six, you may put an artifact card from your hand or graveyard onto the battlefield. I, I misread this card at first, by the way. Oh, yeah. I, I thought this card's ultimate was putting an artifact from your graveyard onto the battlefield. Mm. I didn't realize you could, like, sneak attack something and yeah. play. <laughs> I, I think that probably if you're playing this card... It's not super about the minus six. Hard no. hard to build a deck around put, putting an artif a big artifact into play. But I think you're mostly going for... It, it's just like a kind of grindy, controlling sort of thing. It comes into play with like a lot of loyalty later in the game. But, you know, all it really does is exile creatures and then fix your draws and fill up your graveyard a little bit. I don't know if that's good enough. But, you know, I I could see this in a controlling, maybe an Urza-ish sort of Esper deck or something like that. I don't know exactly what. I don't think it's a great card, but it, it does some work. And Surveilling 2 is, like, if you're doing graveyard stuff especially, is a pretty powerful way of fixing your draws. Yeah, Surveilling 2 with incidental graveyard stuff is really, really strong every turn. Mm -hmm. 
And I think where this card shines is when you play it on like turn five or turn six. Mm-hmm. It comes to play with like a ton of loyalty. You can kill a creature instantly, and then next turn you start surveilling again. Yep. Or if you play it on six loyalty, you can just kill another creature. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if that's how you want to use Daka. And it's really cheap because on turn, if you have six lands in play, you can play it as a three drop and have three mana open mm-hmm. after killing a creature and still having a Planeswalker in play that your opponent has to deal with. That's like not that bad as long as you're set up to protect it or do anything with its subsequent abilities. Yeah, not a ton of modern decks like play a land every turn, turns one through six though. So yeah, I cl- I explicitly did not say turn six. I right, said six right, lands. right. But I mean like. <laughs> Not a lot of modern decks like aim to have six lands in play at, at any like threshold, yeah, term. visible point of the game. And, and this card is hurt by its color scheme, like being three different colors. Sure, while being kind of hard to use, is not a knock in its favor. Nope, it severely limits the kind of decks you can put it in, and I'm honestly not too sure exactly where you would want this or like what cards you play around it no i mean i wouldn't be surprised if this just doesn't find a place because it it does a couple of kind of specific things it removes creatures and then it like does graveyard stuff and it kind of wants you to have an artifact to to sneak in i don't know if that's bolus's citadel or (laughs) sundering titan sundering titan possessed portal is that what you're about to say yeah that's like the gnarliest artifact to put into play, pretty much. Yeah, Possessed Portal is, uh, what? Each player skips all cards they it ends, draw? It ends, the game's over, there's no more things going on this game. Yeah, the, the way that card reads is if you have more permanents and cards in your hand combined than your opponent's permanents and cards in hand, you win the game. Because they can't draw out of it. Well, kind of. As long as you have any way to end the game in your stuff, then probably. But it... You each skip your draws. At the end... Well, once they get low enough in permanence compared to you... And I, you can surveil while you're doing this, too, because you have Dakin in play, I'm right, assuming. Right, right. So you're, you're getting advantage while stopping everyone from doing stuff. Yes. And then you can just, you know, bring stuff, whatever, back. Whatever win condition right, you have. Right, right. So having the Dakin would be the thing. But, like, Possess Portal... I just want to, like, note how atrociously designed this card is... <laughs> Eight mana artifact, if a player would draw a card, that player skips that draw instead. So no matter how many, like, cantrips or whatever you've sandbagged for the situation, like, you can't, you can't, you can't get any more cards out of your deck at this point. At the end of each turn, each player sacrifices a permanent unless he or she discards a card from his or her hand. So this doesn't actually kill anybody. It just, like, shrinks all of the resources down. And then, like, if you didn't have a way to kill your opponent and you played this and they didn't have a way to kill you, it cuts off everybody's draw steps, it removes all of their resources, and then at some point you have to sacrifice the possessed portal, and then you guys just start playing a new game from zero permanence, zero cards in hand. It's the one of the worst design magic cards I've ever seen. I've actually won games with this in Modern before. Yeah, it's certainly... It is a lock, like, all on its own. Because if you have the, the Thopter Sword combo, you just can stop anyone from interacting. Right. You make a token each turn that, that satisfies the requirement for the portal. Mm-hmm. And then your opponent just has to scoop because they can't win. Yes. But you probably cannot put this card into your deck to bring back with deck on Shadow Slayer. That seems no. unlikely. Because you never want to drop a Zest portal ever. Right. Unless we have multiple ways to sneak it in, I guess. <laughs> No, I'm not. I love Possessed Portal. I 
I stole a Chinese one from you, I believe, mm-hmm. <laughs> so I could play it in modern. And uh, I still don't want to play with that card. That's fair. <laughs> the other Planeswalker that was spoiled today is Grist the Hunger Tide. One black green for a three loyalty Planeswalker. As long as Grist the Hunger Tide isn't on the battlefield, it's a 1-1 insect creature in addition to its other types. Plus one, create a 1-1 black and green insect creature token, then mill a card. If an insect card was milled this way, put a loyalty counter on Grist and repeat this process. Minus two, you may sacrifice a creature. When you do, destroy a target creature or planeswalker. Minus five, each opponent loses life equal to the number of creature cards in your graveyard. I, that passive text is really, really cool and opens up some like plays that you've never thought about having access to with a planeswalker before. Yeah, the passive text is what makes this card. That's, that's why this card is good. Mm-hmm. Or interesting. I, I'm not actually sure how good this card is. Because it's the honest, only thing that makes you consider it. The fact that you can company into it or whatever. Like, on face value, three mana for this Planeswalker is not that impressive. Like, its loyalty abilities are, are fine, but they're not modern playable. Right. Like, you wouldn't really want to do them. But if you can just treat this as a creature and sneak it onto the battlefield, kind of in addition to whatever else you're doing... Mm-hmm. That's worth considering. And I'm so tame when I saw this card. Literally, my first thought was, oh, man, I get raised in it. Right. That's just like the smallest ball thing you can ever do. I like that they specify that it's a 1-1. So you can bring it back with like Vesper Lark, which is really cute to me. Uh, It has three mana. It has a three mana value. So you can bring it back with Unearth. Uh, you can hit it with Collected Company. The place where I see it possibly is... So, like, a lot of the space of this card of being, like, a three-mana, quote, creature that you can hit with a tutor or a company, and it's also a removal spell because you can minus two and sacrifice whatever little guy you have to kill a creature. A lot of the space that this could accomplish is, like, taken up by Skyclave Apparition. Mm-hmm. But if you are not playing white and you are maybe something like a Yawgmoth combo deck. Like, that deck could easily just want one of these to tutor for. You might want to uh, evolution into this, and that might be a, an important part of some sort of matchup, is, is getting this, making some tokens, sacrificing undying guys to kill their creatures. The minus two on the minus ability is, like, a big cost. Mm-hmm. If it were my, If it were, like ready and it's only a minus one and you could just like keep doing that then then i'd be a pretty substantially more interested in having this card on the battlefield yeah i think i i also made the comparison to Duretti iconoclast mm-hmm. something or another like the, the red black one earlier today and i'm like man i guess they're compensating with all the extra text this card has and that it's a creature and that it technically can be a plus two on the loyalty counter yeah there's zero playable insects so you have to hit another grist and how many grists are you playing in your modern yeah, deck? probably not not that many are there really no playable insects in modern i might actually haven't even looked i, I don't I think just there are there weren't any i think the- is hornet queen an insect yeah, Hornet Queen is an insect. You're not playing any Hornet Queens in your Grist deck. The like the only good insect in Magic is Wirewood Symbiote. Uh, excuse me. Uh, I guess Delver Secrets does not count as an insect. Nope, not it's for Grist. It's a human. <laughs> yeah, there are no good insects in all of modern monstrous Carabid. <laughs> <laughs>
I would say don't speak ill of Monstrous Carabid, but it was always the worst card in the Living End deck, so, you know. So I can't speak ill of it? I It's the one that when you sideboard out a cycling creature, that's the one you sideboard out. You sideboard it out against the Tarmogoyf decks because it has to attack each turn if able, and it's smaller than their Tarmogoyfs. <laughs> okay, so Krista's, like, really neat, but I don't... I, I don't know where it goes. I really don't. I'm in the same place. I don't think it's good enough, but it is really neat. I, I wouldn't be surprised to see people playing, like, one mm -hmm. to cheat into play with various effects, but it end up not being that great. Yeah. Because it kind of wants you to play this grindy game, but a lot of modern decks, I mean, are kind of set up for that grindy game, but it gets trumped by the best grindy card, which is Skyflame Apparition. Right. But, I mean, the fact that you can cord for it or eldritch evolution for it or traverse the Ulvenwald for it or whatever like traverse is particularly good because this card is two types in the graveyard yeah that's true along with uh urza saga though these cards should not see play in the same deck <laughs> urza saga a is wild also deck. <laughs> two different types which goes to the graveyard super easily let's see what else have we got we've got flame tongue yearling adorable red red two one multi kicker two Enters the battlefield with a plus one plus one counter on it for each time it was kicked. When it enters the battlefield, it deals damage equal to its power to target creature. Probably not really good enough. You can't really main deck this in anything, and I question it being like raw powerful enough against anything to be a sideboard option that you want. Yeah, it's certainly a powerful card in standard terms, but in modern, I don't think there's really a place for it. It is certainly adorable, though. Yes, very cute. It's so uh, angry like looking. The, yeah. Which, what's the other card I thought was kind of cute? Wait. Oh, late for dinner. Oh my late god. Late dinner. Oh my heart. So the best part about this card, which is almost irrelevant, I'll read the text anyway. It's just three white for a, a zombify, but you create a food token. But the story this, that this card tells. So this card was spoiled by some Forthos uh, Twitter account, which had a bunch of cards in it, including like Break Ties, which is just a card depicting two famous characters in the story. Uh, the Spreading Insurrection was like an Ixalan story card. And then just this card was just two random characters <laughs> that no one's ever heard of. But it's easily the best story because it's just a, a rhino in fancy wear, like waiting for his elephant buddy to come to dinner. But, you know, the elephant died, and the flavor text is like, ah, didn't expect you to come, old friend. <laughs> yes, it's so sweet. It's so charming. It's just perfect. I love this card. Uh, we've got a couple of green storm cards, one with storm in quotes. That one is Thrasta Tempest's Roar. 10 GG for a legendary creature dinosaur. Costs three less to cast for each other spell cast this turn. So it counts both players, just like Storm. Trample, haste, trample over planeswalkers. And so if it hits a planeswalker, it deals the excess damage to the, the controller. And it has hexproof as long as it entered the battlefield this turn. So you're really setting up like the biggest questing beast of all time. And it does seem costed like very intentionally. To where, like, even if you cast three spells, this is still a three mana spell. So you're not, like, obviously a three mana 7-7 seven, seven with these abilities would be a very good card. But you're not getting, like, a totally insane payoff for being able to do, like, 
bobble metamorphose flashback lava dart or whatever you still can't do this until turn three and the max value that you can get out of this is that this costs two mana yeah i i actually like this card a lot mm-hmm. but i i heard something today that I, I was thinking of it initially and in more like a prowess shell where you, you know you can sacrifice lava dart and play the mistress bubbles and whatever same and you just tackle them with a giant creature that's actually quite difficult to remove by modern standards because it costs 12 mana and has seven toughness tough to fatal push the 12 drop yeah, and you you basically have to path it. You can't skyclave apparition it. You you just like looking at the card for the most of the time as it attacks you, as you build up like a, a board large enough to stop it. Yeah. <laughs> so like even though it doesn't end the game, like the turn you play it, like most storm cards do, uh, it it being kind of cheap enough and heavy hitting enough with hard enough to remove, felt like that could be good enough in prowess. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think Ari and Dom were talking about it in Neoform Shell today, mm. which is interesting, too, because that's a Nourishing Shell deck, and this is a 12-mana green card. And Nourishing Soul ma- makes this card cheaper. And it's another thing you can you know, Neoform something. Sure. Though I guess if you Neoform this, the only thing you get is Emrakul. So you're probably just using it mostly as like a, a legendary card you can mm. put into play. Yeah, that's true. Well, yeah, you could only get yeah Emrakul the promised end with it. Yeah, that's that that doesn't really work. I guess you could Eldritch Evolution it for anything, but like that's only half of your combo cards. But yeah, I mean, I but, could see it with that because those are Mox Amber decks now too. So like, mm-hmm. if you, yeah, I I I could see and and they they play like that that pump spell right so this could yeah to get it's the life gain finisher too like since the card has haste and trample right super super trample so this you what is that card called it's something rights right i mean it's from strixhaven right fortifying draft one green instant and you gain two life target creature gets plus x plus x until end of turn where x is the amount of life you gained this turn so this may be part of the neoform kill that is like a healthy part of the package because nourishing shoaling with this gains you 12 life but the play is like you get your gristle brand into play, and then here's the kill. You go mox amber. I guess we can't get mana morphos mana off of the mox ambers. So I am sure there is a convoluted way to do this. Yeah. But the idea is basically you put Thrasta into play, mm-hmm. use the draft on it, and then attack for lethal because nourishing shell gains you so much life. Right. Right. And this is just a cheap haste thing that probably is is fine yeah so I, I i could definitely see it as a component in that as far as you know decks playing actual magic the gathering you know this doesn't really work like in a storm deck because it like it's only good to have a seven seven haste if you're adding that to other sources of damage so you have to be killing them in other ways i mean this is certainly good with summoners packed as part of the thing because that is one free spell, but I don't know what aggressive summoner pack decks there really are. Yeah, I think ninety percent of summoners packs cast get evil titans. Yes, correct. <laughs> so, but like, it is not completely insane to me to think that there is a way to design a pretty decent red green prowess deck that includes Thrasta as its. You know, you got your one drops, and then here's your alternate larger threats 
you probably have to be playing like maxed out gut shots and, and lava darts or something like that to make it work. But this thing hits really hard is a guaranteed hit the first time and like a pretty big problem even going forward from there. So I, I think the payoff does exist if you can make it work and it doesn't cost your deck like too massively to make it work. Can we talk about the other green storm card, which is more of a like traditional storm finisher? Yep. Also good with uh, summoners is, backed. Yeah, also good with summoners backed. Uh, it's Ave, Ave, A-E-V-E, <laughs> the ooze progenitor. Uh, it's a legendary ooze with storm. So creatures can have storm now ever since they changed that rule. Mm-hmm. Copies of creatures just come to play as tokens. Yeah, good rule. So, I mean, intuitive yeah. and clear. Yeah, I, I'm glad that they changed that. So Ave is not legendary if it's a token, which, you know, if you're storming off with a legendary creature. Yeah, that's important. You don't want them all to die. <laughs> uh, and it also comes into play with a plus one plus one counter for each ooze on the battlefield that you control, which means when you storm with this, mm-hmm. uh, the first one's a two. If you have no oozes in play, the first one's a two, two, the second one's a three, three, the third one's a four, four, and so on and so on. Yeah, I don't love that cascading size effect in tokens like generally tokens with plus one plus one counters is not my favorite thing in the world to like have to do in paper making a bunch of tokens of different sizes is also not ideal i do like the part where the original one that is legendary is the largest one i think that that is cute and how it should be uh and and like the flavor of the card is cool i don't love the just like this storm card is just a big green empty the Warrens. Like, okay. I like that you can Caracas the original, but not the tokens. <laughs> <laughs> Which is something you never want to do. Yeah, give them their storm card back in their hand. <laughs> yeah. Nice. I think this card is just... I think this card is good, but it requires people to build decks much differently than they have been. Oh yeah, you can't pass in flames this, so... Yeah, there's zero reason to play green in Storm decks other than Veil of Summer, which is, you know, busted. But if you want to have a green win condition, you can start to see people... like Because this card is not straight up better than Empty the Warrens, because they're different. Mm-hmm. But as a... Empty the Warrens mostly like a bridge card, while you just like try to play a resource game and kill them before they can like recover. Mm-hmm. But Empty the Warrens is so easily dealt with by a bunch of cards, including Engineered Explosives. Yep. Uh, Engineering explosives doesn't even work on Ave unless they're playing five colors, I guess. Yes, that's because a all the big tokens. explosives. <laughs> because all the tokens have uh, five mana value. Plague Engineer also less good against this than against Empty the Warrens. Yeah. And just like cards like that, like because Ave is so big and there's so many of her, as long as you're trying to like storm with her. I assume this is a her for some reason. I don't know why. That seems pretty gender neutral, I would say, but. I guess it has to be. I mean, in Spanish, it, which is the version I'm reading, mm-hmm. it's gendered as male. So hmm. I guess it is a male ooze. <laughs> <laughs> the translation uses it, but I don't know if that's a, an actual translation or a... So who knows? Anyway, <laughs> it, it, it's just very big. And I like this card. And I hope that we get to see... Honestly, I'm kind of a little excited at the prospect of getting new storm cards like actual storm cards in wind conditions uh because ave is not like graveshot or tendrils where you know at a certain point in the game with a storm player 
they just play X amount of spells and you lose the game once they draw the finisher mm-hmm. or get the finisher in their hand. Uh, Eve doesn't work like that. Like, the game is essentially over, but you can counterplay it with, you know, blocking. They have to have a large storm count. You can, like, do stuff. But it it's, gives you a turn before they just kill you. So I think it's kind of pretending that that's true, but I'm not sure that it is. What do you mean? You know, there's the idea that, okay, I can, like, block long enough to survive and do my thing. But... And, and like, yes, the, these storm decks are going to be built very differently from Blue Red Storm, which is able to get its storm count up to like just massive numbers and like Grape Shot for 10, Remand it, Grape Shot for 11. And and this is this is not that like a like a Green Red Storm deck probably isn't going to be able to get your storm count up to that level. But, you know, you do this for six and then you get a two, two, a three, three, a four, four, a five, five, a six, six and a seven, seven in play. Like unless you have actual Wrath of God. Like, you're just dead on your next turn, no matter what, like, even if you do have some creatures in play. Well, I think it's more interesting because, I mean, yeah, in that scenario, I think you're just dead most of the time. But this is a five-mana triple green card, Mm -hmm. and I don't know, other than, like, Lion's Eye Diamond, I guess, cards that make triple green and, like, cast a bunch of spells Mm -hmm. kind of thing. And there have to be, in my mind, there has to be some enabler if green-red is the storm mechanic in the limited environment. And since I don't imagine they'll be printing a ton of rituals, in, in my mind that's usually like suspend cards or stuff like Mishra's Bobble. Mm-hmm. And I want to see what those enablers are before, like maybe I can just play A for three and have enough supplemental storm stuff that I can just do that enough times. Oh yeah, like I, think, I think this is super cool and limited for sure. Well, I'm not saying limit. Like, <laughs> I use limited because I know the green red mechanic is storm, right. which means there have to be enablers for storm. Mm-hmm. And if these enablers are good enough for constructed, we could see new types of storm decks that aren't like play six rituals, kill you with great shot. Sure. I just don't foresee that happen. Like, I foresee this just being lion's eye diamond, diamonded in uh, legacy. And I, yeah. you know, and I see this just being like, you know, you just start your deck with Summoner's Pact, Manamorphose, and this, and then I'm sure that there's other stuff you can <laughs> do to make that deck into a thing. And especially if there's a reasonable way to give your creatures haste, then you don't even have to pass the turn. And this just gives like a ton of power. Certainly is less offensive than Tendrils of Agony. Like that is 100% true. But I'm wondering how much of that, you know, this is more, this gives your opportunity, this gives your opponent more opportunity for counterplay. I'm wondering how much of that is actually true and how much of that is kind of illusory because the counterplays that are available don't actually happen very often. I don't know. I guess we'll have to find out. Yeah. Uh, Let's see. A little more milling. Fractured Sanity. (laughs) You, you, you. Each opponent mills 14 cards, cycling one in a blue. When you cycle Fractured Sanity, each opponent mills four cards. Uh, goes really well with that Chroma mill card. <laughs> sanity grinding? Uh, is is that what it is? Is that Sanity grinding? I'm pretty sure it's Sanity grinding. I think you're right. Sanity grinding, a UUU sorcery. Reveal the top ten cards of your library for each blue mana symbol in the mana cost. Target opponent puts the top card of his or her library into his or her graveyard. I mean, I don't know how many three mana mill cards you can put in your mill deck, even if they do mill a very large number of cards. But 
paying three mana to mill 14 is probably good enough for the mill deck. No, I think it's quite good. Yeah. Mostly because it has also the cycling mode. Neither of these modes targets at all, which is really big for mill. Yeah. Uh, getting posed by like random ley lines of sanctity was always <laughs> terrible. Right. But now you have a crab and this thing that don't, so. And maddening cacophony if you still want to play that. Uh, there's no way that you can fit that in your deck now, right? No, not now. I don't think so. But I, I know people did make the decision to play Maddening Cacophony instead of like Glimpse mm -hmm. because you're never glimpsing yourself anyway. <laughs> so yep. just give up two cards to make sure it always works. Yep. So this is for that deck exactly. And who knows if it's good. Lots of cool stuff. Lots of really cool stuff that's obviously not for like competitive modern play, but neat that it exists. Garth One-Eye foremost among them. <laughs> Oh yeah, that is the sweetest card. I think that's my favorite card they've spoiled so far, nice. which is a Wuberg 5-5 legend that you can tap and choose a card name to like that you're able to cast a copy of. And those cards are uh, Disenchant Brain Geyser, which is XUU, target player draws X cards. Terror, Shivan Dragon, Regrowth, and Black Lotus. I only read what Brain Geyser did because I read that the Scryfall Twitter had like a record number of searches for Brain Geyser and <laughs> not the other cards. <laughs> and you do have to pay the mana for the card. So it's Yeah, so if you if you choose Black Lotus, you have to pay the zero. <laughs> and that can help you cast the Shivan Dragon, mm -hmm. which is, as we all know, the best thing to do with Black Lotus. This is one of the slower ways to get a Shivan Dragon into play, but it's one of the sweeter. It's definitely one of the sweeter. Yeah, this card's not longer playable, but I, I like this card a lot. Yeah, it's, it's really sweet. I think it's a neat technology add mm -hmm. to the game because you're literally... This card lets you cast Brain Geyser and Black Lotus in Modern, which are on the reserve list. They can never be reprinted ever. <laughs> and if they're willing to let you cast these cards, like kind of falsely through another card that means that they might be doing this on other cards like you know like how how far are we from other cards that just create stuff yeah i mean like kind of hearthstone-esque and then just you get to cast it i just am surprised you know that they are just referencing cards that have text and you without having to put the text you know this card doesn't you need to know the text of other cards to play this thing it doesn't operate entirely on its own not that every card does you know like i don't think it's particularly different from like the incarnations having evoke without reminder text of what evoke is how would you ever know that so it, it's not like completely unprecedented but you do need to know what a shivan dragon is what a brain geyser is what a disenchant that's like a lot to know to to know how this card works yeah and they picked all cards from alpha which is nice but, you know, again, people didn't know what Brain Geyser was, so... Yeah. Well, now way more people know what Brain Geyser is. Um, I want to talk about the sword that they spoiled. Mm -hmm. uh, sword of Hearth and Home. It's the green-white sword, so it's, you know, three to play, two to equip, because plus two, plus two, and pro green and white. But uh, whenever it, the equipped creature deals combat damage to a player, you can exile up to one target creature you own... Not just control, but own. Uh, then search your library for a basic land card, and then you put both of those cards onto the battlefield, both the land and the creature. Mm -hmm. Then you shuffle. Uh, some neat things about this card is that it puts the land of play untapped, 
which is nice, uh, as well as the creature, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> I mean, and yeah, you I... can attack with the equipped creature, and if you don't mind unequipping the sword, it like gives it vigilance. You get a mana back, so you could probably re-equip the sword to it. So, yeah, it, it refunds you. So if you want to re-equip, you get to do that. Uh, I I really like this card because I think it's worth looking at for like more death and taxes the stoneforge decks mm-hmm. because flickering is really really strong and though i think the protections on this card are pretty lackluster though i mean mostly because if you if they have skyglue apparition they'll just go after the sword before you're going after your creature mm-hmm. uh, the flickering yeah. thing is really good and those decks use up a ton of mana like they can just use as much mana as they can get right. pretty much uh, so it, with it being a low cost in a Stoneforge deck, mm-hmm. in a deck that already wants like as many flicker effects as it gets hand on, yeah, I think this is a a good addition. And and cards like Skyclave Apparition and stuff love ways to use the body. I mean, obviously you've admitted that when you put Stoneforge Mystic into your deck, but it um, it's just like this is a cohesive concept for a deck. Is Stoneforge Mystic comes into play, ability creatures and put a sword on them that blinks the cre- like like it, it works it's a package that makes sense yeah it's not like your game is based around the sword right? right it's just another addition to your deck if feast and famine or better school is better you grab those right yeah so it, it's this... just another cool option it the protection colors on this one are unexciting at best yeah they're not great because all the white removal can't, I mean, other than exactly Path to Exile. Mm-hmm. Pretty much all the white removal that's played in Modern can just go after the sword instead. Yeah, or is a sweeper. Oh yeah, or is a sweeper. Uh, green protection's a little more interesting because if creatures are blocking in Modern, they're typically green. Yeah, it gets you through a Tarmogoyf. <laughs> but yeah, Primeval Titan, to- random tokens, Spike Feeder, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I like this card, and I think a lot of people are writing it off a little unfairly because it's, I guess, not as sexy as Sword of Fire and Ice. <laughs> yeah, blinking is pretty good, though. Like, I I mean, I could also see this, like, maybe the deck that we're playing is some white-black deck, like, some white-black ephemerate deck with grief. Some comes into... grief? Yeah, some white comes into play stuff, some black cards. Uh, You have to play enough black cards for grief. They don't need to... You know, you don't need to scour Scryfall for almost playable black creatures with enters the battlefield abilities. You, you just need black cards in your deck. So you need to have enough. You might be packing together a, a pretty solid combo of synergy stuff and then just raw power when you have your grief ephemerate opening hands. And we have still a time in this recording have not seen the green or the white or the red uh incarnations right so yeah who knows what those are gonna be yeah Dude, opening two turns of grief ephemerate it and then turn to stone like stoneforge mystic is just like the best possible follow-up to shredding your opponent's hand like that yeah you just get whatever buries them mm-hmm. sometimes it'll be sword of feast and famine sometimes it'll be uh one of those usually swords are better at pushing advantage than battle school because battle school is just a creature yeah. if you've already got power into play and this is a really good one to get in that kind of scenario. Yes. Yeah, keep blinking your your grief. Like, 
just really make sure that they don't get there. Yeah, and if if you if they've gone so low in hand size that blinking grief isn't good enough anymore, you just blink the stoneforge to get a different sword. Yeah, this just blinks the stoneforge that got it. I mean, that that is a pretty long term value proposition. And all decks that play stoneforge are in it for the long term yeah. value propositions. I know, but it's just like when you manage to hit with a sword, you've usually done it at that point, regardless yeah. of exactly what you're doing with the sword. But it is cute I mean, that this works well with Stoneforge. It also, I think, works really well with Elite Spellbinder because it's a flying creature mm-hmm. with a really good inches battlefield ability. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm down for that for sure. This is like on my my short list of cards I think people are not really looking at at all. I, I don't think that's fair. And I'm definitely ordering a borderless version of this card. It's so pretty. It's There's so like pretty. fruit in the art. <laughs> I so I I mean I love the like mood of this card and the idea of it and the you know I love magic cards that are not just like we're fighting now it like this is sort of hearth and home it's like operating on different emotions both of the triggered both of the triggered ability effects are positive things for you instead of shredding your opponent's stuff like the 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 concept of this card is kind of joyful and delightful I'm a little torn on it though because like it's still a sword and it doesn't make a ton of sense in the context of like we're growing food on our farm and then well, here is the sword. <laughs> you see this is the sword shortly before it becomes a plowshares. I don't think so cuz the sword is still like an equipment that gives plus 2 plus 2 and abilities and stuff. So it's kind of a weird card to have this mood and connotation to it, but I still do appreciate the art and the the intentions behind it i'm torn because i i'm pretty sure i want one for my cube Mm -hmm. and i use all the chris ron art swords Mm. which he's done all the other ones i i like the the art style he did for that Mm -hmm. one so i'm not sure it'll it'll be it'll be tough i think for me so i i i loved fire and ice and and uh light and shadow when they came out the original printings. i i loved the idea of them and it was just really evocative to just like have these two swords that were encompassing like opposite things like it was a really cool idea to have on two swords i've gotten like really overloaded by all of the swords existing i think that there is such thing as too much of a good thing and they're not even opposing concepts anymore like right. body and mind sure feast and famine okay war and peace yeah truth and justice wait hold on yeah and are those opposites hearth and well because once it's allied colors swords the whole flavor of like you're composing a sword of two opposing things it just doesn't work anymore We've lost the the focus here, I think, and I I am just like kind of overloaded. I really liked, honestly, the spot we were in when we only had two swords, and it was just like this ooh, it, it's like more fun to wonder what the other swords would be than to actually to have, have so many of them, yeah. and kind of the same thing with the arts. Like I I know that Mark Zug was the original artist and stuff, but the arts of just like hand holding a sword once you're on like sword eight it's just like oh my god (laughs) i keep seeing this and so it's just the same it's just the background that changes yep and the color of the two blades so you know i i am not torn i like the (laughs) version of this card (laughs) 
Um, we're kind of in the the back half of the spoilers now. There's only like a couple more I want to talk about. Well, we should mention Cabal Coffers is getting a reprint. I mean, we can, I guess. Well, I think it's important because that's a hundred dollar card at this point. <laughs> is it? Wait, really? Yeah, not exaggerating at all. That's just straight up a hundred dollar card. That's impressive. That explains why they're reprinting it at Mythic. Huh. Okay. Yep. Wow. <laughs> yep. I. I learned that it was expensive because I was putting together a mono black commander deck, went looking for my set of Cabal Coffers that I have owned for forever, realized that at some point when I was just clearing out cards, I like sold them for like 15 bucks each and then they were up to like 60 something at that point. Yeah, I remember you telling me they were like $60 yeah. or $50 or whatever. And now... That was not that long ago. That was like in pandemic time. No, I mean, like card prices have just gone nuts over the course of the pandemic, so... Yeah, Cabal Coffers is getting a reprint. It's probably not going to see that much modern play. Like, you can play Urborg, but I, I think you're going to have to be doing some, like, cartwheels to it's a, put together a Urborg. It's a pretty weird deck. specific thing that you need to be doing. You need to not be as all-in on ramping because, you know, Tron gives you seven Tron. mana on turn three. But... but what this does is it like gives you a sizable mana advantage the longer the game goes on. So you need to be a grindy deck that can play regular old magic with the costs of your spells. But then, you know, if you as you put together Urborg plus Cabal Coffers, then on turn three, you don't get any mana advantage. But starting on at four lands, each land after three is a two mana land, basically. So as the game goes on, you get more and more of a mana advantage. I don't know how you leverage just like that in modern. Like walking ballista isn't enough of a thing. You need playable <laughs> magic cards that are fine and then also scale with mana. And I can't think of any because that's not a concept that has been good in modern because there's no way to like do that over the course of a game. So uh, maybe there are cards that I just like don't have easy access to in my head that would be okay. So I think Cabal Coffers is a card that would be extremely good in standard because pushing a mana advantage like that with ramping cards and being grindy is something that works. Mm -hmm. Like the first card that popped into my head with Cabal Coffers was a Mastermind's Acquisition, mm -hmm. which is a tutor. You can just like tut it, tutors get way better the more mana you have right. or the cheaper they are. It's kind of the same thing. Yeah, I mean, people tried to make and, and sort of did make the the Dominaria version of Cabal Coffers. Oh, I, I guess, but that, that card was so... Yeah, it just costs bad. an extra mana to activate. And just like basic swamps. Oh, yeah, it only counted basic swamps? Is that... Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that is a lot it worse. It only than... counted basic swamps. Right, and and I mean, we didn't even have Urborg to play with it, so it, like, didn't really matter. Yeah, it's just uh, cards like Karn the Great Creator is a card like you're describing, something that's can scale up really well with mana. Mm, that's a perfect example, yeah. But that's... Like, the cards that are playable like that in modern... A few and far are, between, yeah. And they already have decks that use them well. Mm -hmm. Like, Eldrazi Tron uses Karn very well. Uh, actual Tron uses Karn very well. Sure. Yeah. And I don't see a, a reason to, like, play a slower, grindier version of those decks if you're trying to play, like, the similar type of effect. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I mostly agree, I, but this is like Cabal Coffers plus Urborg is a pretty powerful effect and way of approaching the game that 
we don't have access to with other tools. So and maybe we just play Mono Black Tron, you know, mm-hmm. Tron with Urborg and Cabal Covers. Just get the best of both worlds. Well, but it has to be a deck that's like pretty <laughs> comfortable just continuing to make mana drop to, to make land drops. Like Tron decks play 19 lands. <laughs> <laughs> on the on the heavy end. Yeah. Right, I want to talk about what is this card called? Mog, Mog Salvage? Yeah, the one of the reprints. Yeah, this is a reprint from Nemesis, I believe. Is that watermark? Mm-hmm. Uh two and a red for an instant. Destroy target artifact. Uh, but if an opponent controls an island and you control a mountain, you can cast it without paying its mana costs. Like uh, Submerge, kind of. Yeah. You have to, a, a different land than Submerge. But it's the, the same, same cycle. It's actually thing. in the same cycle as Submerge, yeah. yeah. Is there four other Submerges? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Because I know Nemesis has a lot of, like the blue ones in Mercadian Masks all require you to bounce islands, but the red ones require you to sacrifice mountains and stuff like that. They're just like different in various ways. <laughs> Yeah, there's I wasn't sure there's a Nemesis full was. cycle in Nemesis that if they control this and you control this, it's free. Massacre is one of them. Yeah, uh, yeah, Massacre. This card is clearly a card designed in like 2019 <laughs> because they have upended the format since this card was put in the file. Uh, I don't know what artifacts we're destroying now, but this would be like a pretty good addition to like 2019 modern. See, I don't know what artifacts necessarily we were destroying then either like we were playing urza decks but like i mean mostly i think we were killing uh mike's Gladys and staring bridge like construct tokens sure artifacts are always worse than the payoffs <laughs> in modern yeah because like you know there was one of the urza heavy tournaments that i played in when we were just all playing like different versions of the urza deck um and i was playing uh teamer build because I really like Galvanic Blast as my removal spell. And one of my opponents sideboarded in Nature's Claim against me because they and their team, you know, this was a name player, etc. And they had been playing Experimental Frenzy as one of their, like, go-over-the-top-in-the-mirrors cards. They sideboarded in Nature's Claims because they didn't want me to cast Experimental Frenzy. I wasn't doing that. So my deck just had no targets that were worth casting nature's claim on. Like you could kill a construct, but like I have an Urza in play now. So shatters were were not at their best, even in a very artifact heavy. A zero mana shatter, like you could probably convince me, but yeah, I think zero mana shatter against Mycosynthlatus specifically is very enticing mm-hmm. because you can't force a vigor Mycosynthlatus, right? But you can actually cast this card because all you need to do is control like specific lands. Yes, and there's still there's still those lands, so you, you got that. But yeah, shatters are only good in modern. Shatters are pretty much only good against affinity because every other artifact deck traditionally had ways to ignore them, didn't care about them, or play around them. Mm-hmm. Like one of the best standalone artifacts was KCI, right? But that card never got shattered. Like, you shattered it, they got it back immediately, cast it, and then <laughs> killed you. <laughs> like, no one ever shattered a KCI and, like, lived to the next turn. Unless you were, like, really pressuring them, they were forced into doing it in a spot where it wasn't great, and you just barely managed to get there. Like, but... For... And you, 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 like, milled into a Granger Grudge, so you had exactly enough mana to exactly, flash you back. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Few and far between where the games where that actually, like, happened. Yeah, like, Shenanigans is a good... I, I like this card. I like shenanigans. It's like 
mm-hmm. checks to like how powerful artifact decks were in modern. Sure. Uh, but those just don't exist anymore. So <laughs> they just kind of feel out of place now. Yeah. Unban Mox Opal and we can revisit Mog Salvage. I mean, we'll see how good Urza Saga and there's two artifact themes in the set. Mm-hmm. Blue White is supposed to be Affinity and Red White is supposed to be Modular. Yeah. So we'll see how good those artifact cards are. But uh, if they don't bring the heat, uh, these cards are very out of place. And Mog Salvage, not awesome. <laughs> if you're playing Modular, the the single shatter is really not going to not gonna do it you need at yeah. least ancient grudge um you want to talk about anything else i'm kind of i'm kind of set i think i think i'm pretty tapped out here not oh no there's a prismatic ending i think this is worth talking about this is the card i like horribly misread when i so when i i'll, I'll read what this card does <laughs> a prismatic ending is x white sorcery with converge uh so exile target non permanent if its mana value is less than or equal to the number of colors of mana spent to cast the spell that's what converge is it just counts how much mana you colors of mana you cast so when i read this card the first time i thought it was an extra tax like you you paid the white mana then yeah so if you wanted to kill a one drop you have to pay two mana right. for it but that is not how the card works. no this is much more playable than that yeah so it's x white so you're by default at least using one color for the spell. So the X is pretty much like engineered explosives. You just manipulate it with how much mana you want to pay. Mm-hmm. And it's also uh, good against Thalia in that specific way, which is nice. Your Chalice of the Void. If you want to kill mm-hmm. a Chalice of the Void, you can... If it's Chalice is on one, right? You can pay white-white and exile the Chalice. You can even play blue-white because it's less than or equal to... Yeah. I, I mean, and... and even white white you'd still be one more than the cmc of of chalice but anyways yes you can get chalice with this really easily i this card is a sorcery though yes so talk talk to me about the benefits of this one because you were more high on this one yeah i think this card is just good i mean it's definitely being a sorcery hurts it for sure like almost every removal spell that we play in modern is an instant and for a lot of reasons one of the big reasons is that you are less liable to waste a turn's worth of mana with an instant, especially when you're on the play. Compare Rip Apart to a Lightning Helix. You pass the turn on turn two. With Rip Apart, your mana is wasted. With Lightning Helix, if they play a creature, you can cast your spell at end of turn. So like that's a huge part of the reason why instants are so much better on removal spells being instants is so much better than being sorceries. Being able to like EOT removal spells and make them make like infects and stuff use their mana awkwardly make prowess like pump at weird times and stuff like that is is also obviously really good million reasons why instant is not just preferable to sorcery but like makes a card playable where it wouldn't even be close otherwise but i think that that drawback difference is less on cards that you're going to cast for one mana a large amount of the time if i'm going to be killing a death shadow with this Sure, like I'd rather EOT it a lot of the time, but I can find the mana to spend at some point to kill the Death Shadow. I also kind of like that this card is generally better on the draw than on the play because you are matching your opponent's mana value with it. So you would rather use that same turn. If they cast a one drop, you'd rather use your turn one than use half of your mana on turn two. But that's neither here nor there. And evaluating the power level of the card, I just appreciate cards that are subtly better on the draw than on the play. So I think that the baseline case for this is a lot of times it's sorcery speed isolate, exile a one mana creature slash permanent. 
and obviously isolate is just too narrow to be good but the fact that this just gets so much of the stuff that is really really hard to get otherwise they go utopia sprawl you can stop them from jumping up on mana they play a renin six that you just like couldn't possibly answer otherwise two mana you get rid of the renin six they got a land out of it you can move on with your life they, this gets a Heliod as long as you're a three-color deck, which is just... I, I think that's the huge one. So, one, Heliod's impossible to kill, and it's a big part of modern. Mm-hmm. So Vanishing Verse has been good against it, and this card is also good, and it doesn't force you to play exactly black. Mm-hmm. And I think you do need to be three colors to really take advantage of this card, mm-hmm. because killing ones and twos is, is good, especially with that flexibility. But getting up to threes gives you a, a whole range of permanents, and I think it's unrealistic to ask you to play four or five colors for this card. Yeah, and you don't really want to be paying. Like, somebody putting a four mana permanent into play, the way you win the game is usually by getting a mana advantage by killing it with a cheaper spell, and then, like, tempo, you, you, know, you just are up at that point and can leverage that. If they go Yogmoth, you don't want your turn to be four mana, kill <laughs> Yogmoth with Prismatic Ending. Like, you, you have to do better than that. Yeah, but... But having enough colors to get a wide range of cards mm-hmm. while mostly targeting like lower end cards, I think is really good. And and I think that a huge part of this card's value to me is that it so perfectly complements Path to Exile because the cards you want to hit with this and the cards you want to hit with Path to Exile are like barely overlapping Venn diagram circles. And so they cover each other really well. You want to hit their expensive things. You want to hit their Stormwing entities. Anything that comes out later in the game where that land isn't as brutal, you don't want to hit their turn one Monastery Swiss Spear with a path. But you, this is a perfect way to cover the weaknesses of path and and then pick up like, okay, I can get rid of that Renin 6 too along the way. Portable Hull, a card that hasn't been released yet that we talked mm-hmm. about last week, uh, is I think going to be quite good because it has a similar effect. It's a one mana card that gets two cost stuff, uh, and this card is even good against that card because unlike Portable Hole, it's just gone yep. when you use Prismatic Ending on it. So uh, Portable Hole gives the card back. So this, if people start playing a bunch of Portable Holes, because I think the card's like quite mana efficient and good and modern. Mm-hmm. The other half of that is people start playing Prismatic Ending and just start trumping your your Portable Holes. Yeah, and. You know, against any deck that has incidental artifact destruction, like against Jund, I think Prismatic Ending is pretty, pretty good. Like you can get their Goyf that is threatening you. You can get their Bob. If they play a Liliana, you can just pay three mana and get rid of it. Portable Hole can also, you know, get their Goyf or whatever, but it's just sitting there ready to screw you over when they draw their Coligan's Command. And this is not that. Also, you can Snapcaster Prismatic Ending where you can't Snapcaster Portable Hole. So it's going to be contextual which one of those you want in your white deck at any given time. This card is significantly better than I thought when I first read it. <laughs> it costs one mana less than you thought. So. Yeah, yeah, huge. He thinks Ensignor Sorcery is huge. Let me tell you about one mana. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I do recognize that it is a sorcery. You can't play a huge number of these cards like... But I, I think its perfect spot is killing like Monastery Swiss Spear. Because mm-hmm. white decks just, if you're not playing Fatal Push, yeah. you're just getting hit by Swiss Spear or pathing it and just dying you know, earlier. Right. This is huge for that specific access. 
you can play a Bant deck in Modern now without just feeling this, like, huge weakness to this part of the game. Like, you, you, you can cover that weakness with your Bant deck, and if you wanted to play Bant for mid- and end-game options, for card advantage options, now you can. You're not feeling that, like, gigantic lack of a Lightning Bolt or Fatal Push effect. Yeah, this one surprised me. I had to read it a few times. This is, I think, the card that I read the most. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, like... It's basically engineered explosives text, so you shouldn't have too many troubles with it going forward, but... Yeah, it just it threw me off, because I'm not used to white cards like trying to be efficient. <laughs> yeah, they usually tack an, tack an extra mana onto that. You don't want to go over the squirrel cards? Uh, the squirrel cards are whatever. They're cute. Honestly. I like the art of the one that's stuffing a dead body into a tree. That's kind of <laughs> I do like that. <laughs> but uh, on the whole, like... The squirrel cards are just kind of whatever. Uh, I like Mono Skellion as a, a, a callback to Triskelion. Mm -hmm. But I'm super disappointed that his activation ability isn't free like Triskelion's is. Yeah, what gives? I don't know. Maybe it's because it's a cheap artifact that uses plus one plus one counters and the Ardent Scales was still a good deck at the time this <laughs> set was in design. I guess. But you can't really run Mono Skellion in your walking ballista slots in your heart and scales deck so yeah mono scalian by the way is a two mana one one interest battlefield with a possible one counter and you can pay one or remove a possible one counter from it to deal one damage to anything so it's like a, exactly a third of triskelion which is a six mana one one that came to play with three counters but you could activate triskelion for free which is an important part yes. of the triskelion mephidros vampire combo <laughs> I wasn't sure exactly which uh, Triskelion combo you're going to reference, but I'm glad it was like the OG Mirrodin mm -hmm. one. It, uh, that <laughs> was a tooth and nail. Tooth and nail for that. Plague wind yeah. your opponent every turn. Well, yeah. <laughs> Plague wind your opponent once and they scoop halfway through it, but whatever. Usually they scoop before you, you know, put the second <laughs> counter on your Triskelion. Or like when you put the tooth and nail on the stack or whatever. Well, yeah. Yeah, I'm kind of done yeah. for right now. The Monoskillion was the last card we got previewed, so that'll give listeners a good uh, chance to find out where we stopped, because after this episode gets released, there'll be like so many more cards previewed, and we will not have seen them as, you know, we're recording this. Yep. At least three more busted cards coming up in the other incarnations. I'm excited and trepidatious about those, but yeah, so that's looking cool so far. Lots of really neat cards. Uh, let's let's do the question because I do want to talk about it a little. Mm -hmm. Anti Trumpet asked at one point, Marn was a format where you could reasonably expect a deck you bought to be playable for several years, even if it wasn't on top of the meta. If we continue to see direct to modern sets every couple of years, is that part of its identity gone? If so, what does that mean for the format's future, since its cost will be harder to justify without its traditional deck longevity? Or is the delta in power level between older and newer modern decks being exaggerated? I think a huge part of the modern format being the deck you bought to carry you through multiple years, year after year, was largely predicated on two different things, which was a relatively stable or stagnant like cards coming in from standard, uh, which you know for years and years and years cards got added to modern through standard which were fine that like nothing broke the bank some cards were brand here and there that were pretty good 
but they just got they added to modern rather than overshadowed it. Uh, that changed with Modern Horizons two, but mostly Thermal Train <laughs> and uh, Theros Beyond Death, which were gigantic. Each, each both of those sets were gigantic upheavals to modern, which I think really threw the whole format out of whack. Where you just had to like get up with the new stuff to compete. Uh, the other thing that threw the whole, you know, my deck is good and modern forever kind of deal was that the cards that were for the longest time the best in modern or like decks you could craft decks around like Affinity, Jund, uh, Mardu, Pyromancer, whatever graveyard deck were, were just like all cards that have been banned now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so because those cards were like huge pillars of the format, uh, I'm thinking mostly Opal and Faithless Looting because those... They those built a lot of houses, yeah. Yeah, and they're so strong, right? Which is why they're in the ban list mm-hmm. now. But they really propped up what you could do with them. Like there's a bunch of different Monsable decks, there's a bunch of different Faithless Looting decks, and you could play whichever one of those subset of decks you chose for long periods of time, even if it wasn't, you know, ideal. Like if Affinity wasn't the best deck or whatever, or Hardened Scales or whatever you're playing, isn't you know, the best, it still can compete because your top end is one of the best cards in the format in Mox Opal. Like, even if Mario Pirates is a, a bad mid-range deck for the weekend, you're still playing with Fable Sluting, one of the best cards in the format. And nowadays, all the best cards in the format have been printed <laughs> in the last year or two. Yeah. Yep. Which, which is why it feels like you have to keep buying cards to compete in the new modern format is because I think all of the best cards in Modern that you're using to build decks around just have been printed more recently. They're not towards the beginning of Modern. They're towards the end of it. And and I mean, I think that the banning the really good cards of years past has been a big contributor to, to that. Like, nothing can stand up to the new cards because we don't have Faithless Looting, we don't have Mox Opal, we don't have, you know... I mean, Deathrite Shaman is like a, an ancient example and whatever. I I think that there is a huge value, like as I mentioned earlier in the cast, to maintaining archetypes viability. And I think that a careful use of the sets intentionally injecting cards into modern would help curate those decks and like keep them by giving them new toys to play with. I think like the most the clearest example here of a deck that has existed for a huge amount of modern's existence has gone through bans, has gone through printings and keeps getting new tools and keeps going in and out of the metagame is Amulet. Sometimes it's one of the best decks, sometimes it's basically unplayable. It's gotten half a dozen cards banned out of it at various points in time. You know, it it is no longer a field of the dead deck. It originally had Summer Bloom in it, but like it's it's been able to adapt to those because like the core of it was never kicked out. You still have Primeval Titan, you still have Amulet, you still have Summoner's Pact, and that's enough that eventually with some more toys, you even when it wasn't good before, either the meta moves to a right spot or you get a powerful card that you want to add in and then it, it comes back. And I think that maintaining the ability for people to reach back and bring their old decks back is really important. And I think that the sets 
that they're printing now could actively encourage that sort of thing to happen. Yeah, I, I 100% agree. I think Modern Horizons is just the, the series, not the set. is just a, a good, huge boon. Like, Mog Salvage, we were just talking about, is a good addition to the format if it was doing something. Like, we're not killing any artifacts now. Like, that's just not a part of the format. And I think the ban list could be cleaned up beyond, like, our Mox Opal looting apologies. Mm-hmm. I, like, Grief is in this set. And Seething Song is still on the ban list. Right. Like Seething Song, <laughs> <laughs> if you're trying to like have these huge disruptive cards that are free, Force Vindication, Grief, etc., and you're still having like Seething Song and Blazing Shoal on the ban list, like I-, I get that those cards are strong and a little scary, but we're not playing modern to like play a souped up standard, right? We're trying to play a more eternal format. Mm-hmm. And more sh- the more strategies that are viable but not completely overtaking the format, the better. And I think that's the real problem with Oko and Uro. It's not that they were just very strong. It's that they completely overtook the format where you couldn't really justify doing anything but either just playing them or explicitly attacking them. Yeah, I, I think that's completely true. You know, like that is why I was talking about earlier. I don't want to ban Dredge out of the format completely. Maybe that is necessary to allow other graveyard strategies to exist that it's kind of choking out by by out competing them but in an ideal world to me you could weaken it enough and make it like a graveyard deck that you can choose if you take out the like burn strategy from it and then people who want to play stinkweed imps can do that sometimes that'll be the right thing to do but sometimes these other graveyard decks are available and and that's what you want to be doing instead you know banning looting and opal really just took out the trunk of a lot of the decks. You weren't just pruning, you like really laid waste to things that you could do in modern. And now there are fewer things that you can do in modern. That's why when people call for Tron bans, even ironically, or like memely a lot of people do, mm-hmm. I just think it's so short-sighted because Tron is a good strategy and it has been for a while, mm-hmm. for a long time, but it's never dominant. It's, and that's a good place for a modern deck to be yep. because you're, you're doing a powerful thing you can't do in other formats, but you still, still has clear weaknesses and benefits. And it's not just mono green Tron that like, gets impacted by this. You also lose the ability to play Eldrazi Tron, which is a deck a lot of people love. And I lose the ability to play like my Charge Tron deck with Core Tappers. Yeah, and the mono blue Tron weirdos don't get to play mono yeah. blue Tron anymore. And that sucks. Like... There's no reason that Mono Blue Tron guy shouldn't be allowed to play Mono Blue Tron for the rest of their life. Yeah, and he's not in danger of being banned out because Tron is in a good spot. Like, there's nothing... If something causes Tron to be very powerful, uh, it's probably not, at this point, the Urza Tron land's fault. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I think Mox Opal got super artificially inflated in power by the addition of Oko and Astrolabe. Like, those were huge troublemakers. Mm-hmm. Both had to be banned. Uh, and Opal kind of just, like, got mixed in with it. Yep. Uh, similar for Faithless Looting and Hogak. Mm-hmm. Faithless Looting was one of the axes to cut off graveyard decks after Hogak just completely took over an entire summer. But, you know, 
now the only graveyard deck really is dredge and living end yeah and and living end is a different it's a different animal yeah i mean i like i can see technically counting it as a graveyard deck like graveyard hate works against it it uses that zone but it's i mean it's really a a one-turn combo deck yeah, and just wait until you play your Graph Digger's Cage against Living End, right? Um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> or play Living End a bunch and you'll be surprised at how often somebody plays a Graph Digger's Cage against you. It, it happens more and, often when Living End is not a known deck in the meta and, you know, this hasn't happened to people before, but... For those of you who do not know, Graph Digger's Cage and Living End are templated in ways that they do not interact with each other. No, Graph Digger's Cage has no text against Living End. It's it's just sad text too because you play it to stop the living end, and then the living end player is like, "Oh no, I just get to crush this one. Yeah. <laughs> this is gonna feel bad." And you don't. It, it's a wild ride being like in person because I've had people, you know, I played living end at a GP and then somebody played a, a graph digger's cage against me, and it's just like you have a couple of turns where like you know that you have won the game because. The scary games of Magic are when you're sitting against an opponent who has a plan, is executing that plan, and that plan is good against you. Once you've identified that, like, oh, they have misunderstood their plan, then, you know, you're you're heavily, heavily favored. You know you're going to win because there's a Graph Digger's Cage in play. You don't want to give it away because you really want your opponent to keep trusting that Graph Digger's Cage. So you got to, like, keep all your emotions off your face, like, maybe even, like, you know, let, let let your body language change a little bit when the Graph Digger's Cage comes into play. And then end of turn Violent Outburst, flip foot living end, wait for the judge call, attack them for 20. Yeah, I've played against many, many, many pulling needles naming either the card splintering wing <laughs> or the card KCI. Ugh. Uh, Neither of which work. No, that doesn't work. Pithing Needle does kind of work against Splinter Twin. Uh, sort of yeah if you if you get lucky you name the right one and even then it's like not not that great. no obviously but you, you have double punted by sideboarding in a card that's kind of bad and then also just like naming the wrong card you had two options and you named a third <laughs> yes it's not gonna get there as as far as like the question about justifying a, a, a like a deck long term mm-hmm. i think I mean, I hate to say it, but you just kind of have to pick a powerful card that can be additive to the format and just kind of stick with it. Like a good example of this, I, I guess Amulet is a good example that you were talking about earlier, Previal Titans, Owner's Pack. Those cards are always going to be like in the competition. But another card recently, Skyblade Apparition, mm-hmm. that is a card that's got just a million decks you can play around it. And it's extremely strong. Uh, mostly you're going to be playing it... I'm, in some like either Heliod shell or you can play it with Stoneforge Mystic or there's like a lot of ways to do with that card, but you can you can just like build around that for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh what are the other great monastery swiftspear, I suppose, and lava dart, those are good ones. Yep. yep. Uh, just like any because you, you don't want to pick a card that's super narrow. You want to make sure that the format can grow around it. That's why looting and opal were good and strong for so long, because they didn't ask for that much. And they provided a lot. Like, Faithless Zing just wanted you to play graveyard stuff. And Opal wanted you to play with, you know, a bunch of garbage artifacts. Modern just had any good artifacts in it. So I just wanted to play with garbage artifacts. But it gave you a really strong reward, and that was good enough. Yep. Yeah, and, like, there's a reasonable chance from here that, like, 
Teferi, Hero of Dominaria, and Counterspell is going to be a core that is available as like yeah. a very long-term, this is good enough thing. Yeah, Force of Negation, Style Dex, yeah. Archimage's Charm, mm-hmm. that, that kind of blue sphere. Like, even if it's not always the best, you're always going to have a deck to play. Yeah. So, so I think there there are definitely these decks that do exist. It's just we've lost a lot of them along the way, which is a shame. And, you know, I, I think has definitely knocked people out of modern long-term. I think we lost them for good intentions, but it didn't... The format didn't actually shape up to be better for it. Right. And that's... It was kind of clear when Uro was wrecking everything, mm-hmm. but it's even more clear after Uro is gone and like modern is just kind of dual decks right now because i could absolutely have envisioned mox opal and faithless looting strategies that would have been powerful against the uro decks like maybe they wouldn't quite but they at least could have competed on a like a punch for punch axis with with... or tried to do something different in the format to stretch the problem with uro being the strongest card by a mile in modern Mm -hmm. wasn't just that it was very good right it was that it was so good and no other deck had that like clear strategy mm-hmm. that you didn't have to pull your sideboard in so many different directions to try and attack the format. Right. Like you didn't have to have graveyard hate, artifact hate, and then random deck hate. You just had like whatever you wanted because you didn't really have to worry about anything else. Right. And Uro would clean up anybody that's not attacking you on a like, here's my combo access or something like that. If, if they're doing stuff on board, like Uro's just covering such a wide swath of magic cards. But, like, both Mox Opal and Faithless Looting have the ability to enable strategies that, like, Uro is not necessarily going to match up that well with one, one-on-one. And I, I do think, I mean, we talk about this a lot because we both think the ban list could be overhauled. But I, I think more than just Opal and Looting are allowed to leave. Mm-hmm. And you can make some sacrifices. Like, I don't think Underworld Breach should be allowed to exist in Modern if Opal is to. Right. Because those cards would just... And this is the problem with, like, Opal being banned, right? is because Underworld Breach is most likely just destroy, straight up bust of Mox Opal and Grinding Station all that, because you're just super fast and consistent. Mm-hmm. Uh, the problem isn't Mox Opal. It's, it's the card that lets you cast everything like over and over and over again. Yeah. Underworld Breach, it's been banned in Legacy and Pioneer. Yeah. So just get that one out. Uh, absolutely a totally reasonable sacrifice. We probably could have artifact lands back in the format. Like, I don't really know what they would... Uh, Umazawa's Jete, I think, is another one. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, the there's a lot of cards on the ban list that feel like they are holdovers or s- scared of trying something different when the format could use different strategies. And if one ends up being as dominating as Uro is over a long stretch of time, I think that's when you can take the ban to it. Not, you know, this card performed too well for a month. So, you know, we're going to destroy the entire storm strategy now. <laughs> Honestly, still kind of like raising an eyebrow at the simian spirit guide ban yeah that was that's a little oddball one i think it was mostly a, a downfall of Tobolt's trickery mm-hmm. but i think if chromox is on the ban list then simian spirit guide also probably should be chromox is more busted than simian spirit guide like i mean I, i'd be willing to unban them both that's where i stand mm-hmm. on that but it's weird that they can be on different spots of the ban list to me chromox is definitely one of those cards that just like gets better every year. Uh, like it's, yeah. it's like projected power level in modern just like goes goes up and up and up basically just because the things you can do like here's my turn two like, to fairy time raveler bit off of this Chrome Mox like 
but if we're having if we're throwing more more and more free spells into modern horizons mm-hmm. and we're just adding like ways to cheat mana all the time yeah it's not that bad to go down in cards to have more mana if that's right, what modern already horizons is already introducing sure. that that's true just don't unban dread return that's all no, there's like several cards you can ban. Dread Return, Ayavuga, and like there's there's a list. Yeah, but you could give some a shot. Yeah, for sure. Dig through time. Mm. Yeah, treasure cruise. Yeah, Jataxian <laughs> probe, mental misstep, hypergenesis. Yeah, there, there's several you just can't leave the ban list, but it, the list is not as big as you think. Like I think Punishing Fire can be unbanned. That one I actually like. Kind of don't. Like, like it may not be ban-worthy on power level, but just on, like, how... Game health? Yeah, just, like, how wildly it, like, screws up incentives and, like, like dances between, like, really just a terrible card or, like, this. if, if they draw their Punishing Fire, I literally can't win this matchup. Like, I think that, that that's one I'm, like, reasonably comfortable leaving on the list. I, I, I understand where you're coming from, but I think there are so many... I think cards have gotten so much better since Punishing Fire has been banned that you have a more variety of options and sideboard cards if you're playing against a Punishing strategy, Fire strategy and your deck is weak against it. You can just like pivot in a different direction. Imagine playing your 8 Death Shadow deck against a 4 Grove of the Burn Willows deck. I played KCI for like a year and a half. I'm familiar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's really all I got. I don't think I have anything else to say about this stuff. Anything you want to add? Uh, no, we, we can keep talking modern ban lists forever, yes. but probably shouldn't. <laughs> and I am, I, I love, Modern Horizons is like my favorite set. I'm, every day I'm just waking up looking forward to the spoilers, because even if the cards aren't like good in modern, I, there's always the chance I get to add them to like my cube and stuff like that. Like I'm probably going to put Garth in my cube and I don't know, find a Widespring or a Ring Geyser so that I can give people to cast with it. <laughs> yeah. Party on Garth. It's just like a fun set to experience magic with, even if, you know, every single card is not going to break modern wide open. Definitely. Which is a terrifying set that I never want to (laughs) see. Or it could be really cool. Well, I mean, probably not. Because I've seen Throne of Eldraine and that came pretty close. (laughs) Just Three Stooges Syndrome. You have so many, so many broken cards that they can't all fit through the door. Fit through the door? Yeah. Well, that's going to be it for us. Thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate your time. If you want to lend us some support, head over to patreon.com slash mtggrindcast. If you want to find us on social media, I'm tweeting from at CCR underscore grindcast. Lee is also on Twitter. I am at Lee McLeo. Thanks so much for listening and have a great week. Bye.